Amen. Thank you all so much again for being here this evening. Please open your Bibles to First uh, Timothy chapter 4. It's page 209 in your New Testament. As we continue through the book of First Timothy this evening, um, tonight we're on a, I mean, everything's really important <laughs> in the Bible. But tonight we're on a, a topic that's very important to me as a teacher and as a pastor. And uh, it's the first five verses of uh, chapter four. So please join with me in uh, the reading of God's word. Now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will renounce the faith by paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars, whose consciousnesses are, her consciences are seared with a hot iron, They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, provided it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by God's word and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I entitled this, Wolves Among Sheep. Uh, because if you're familiar with the teachings of the Apostle Paul uh, and his intensity, uh, he uses this phrase a couple of times, wolves among sheep or wolves in sheep's clothing. And, and if you remember back to even just to our first teaching on Timothy back in August, this is the first thing he mentions in his letter to Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 3, um, he says, uh, was it verse 3? Yeah, right away in verse 3, he says, I urge you. As I did when I was on my way to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus that you may instruct certain people not to teach any different doctrine. See, when people teach false doctrine and when people teach things that aren't, you know, received with truth and thanksgiving, as the Apostle Paul said, it creates divisions and problems for the church. And in this case, some people seem to have been bad-mouthing the law and teaching all these weird things that we talked about in chapter 1. Uh, And Paul's really adamant about this. And tonight, we're going to see more detail a little bit what he might have been talking about here. And after speaking about last week at the end of chapter 3 about the power of Jesus Christ and the greatness of Christ, Paul continues, excuse me, to tell Timothy to look out for these people. The wolves in sheep's clothing. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and this is the section in the book of Acts where Paul is talking about his ministry to the church in Ephesus, which is the same church that Timothy was a pastor of. And so this is very important as we look to what he may have been speaking about when we look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at at, uh, verse 28 with me. The Apostle Paul says, uh, Keep watch. Over yourselves and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own son. So I know after I have gone, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Read the next two verses too. So some even from your own group will come distorting the truth in order to entice the disciples to follow them. Therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears. 
See, this is the issue Paul is talking about. He said 10 years ago, this letter to Timothy, they think was written about 10 years after what he's talking about here in Acts. And he says, listen, after I leave, people are going to come and they're going to try to divide you. They're going to try and split you apart. They're going to try to get you to fight. They're going to try to get you to argue. He says, so be aware, be diligent. And sure enough, now, 10 years later, when he's writing this letter to Timothy, he says, it's happening. That these people are teaching false things. That their conscience is is seared with a hot iron. I love this little section in Acts when it talks about the Apostle Paul because it gives me great insight into his heart. Paul had a really soft spot for the church. Did you catch the detail that he said in the NIV and the ESV? It's a little different, but he says that he admonishes them with tears night and day. He doesn't just serve the church in Ephesus. He doesn't just care and teach, but he prays for them. It brings him to tears, similar to Jesus Christ before he was betrayed and crucified, cried over the city of Jerusalem. He cared deeply for these people. And as we continue in this book of Timothy, don't lose heart and don't lose sight of that detail of the Apostle Paul. And in your endeavors in leadership and in your endeavors working with people, Let us keep his example in our mind. Are we praying for people? Are we admonishing people? Are we praying for people to the point of tears? Desiring unity and togetherness in the house of God. But yet, despite his prayers and despite his best efforts, ten years later, it's happening. False teachers are running rampant in Ephesus. And this passage, to me, screams of this word you may have heard of before. Discernment. How do we discern what is right? How do we test and know what God is is sending to us or, or what may not be from God? Here, Paul gives a great illusion and he says these people have a seared conscience. It's a great word. If, if you don't know it or are familiar with it, it's like being burned. It's, it's something that is hardened over. It is something that has no more feeling. That these people have no feeling. They have no caring the way Paul had. They don't weep over the people of Ephesus. No, they're there for their own gain. And if you look back again, remember this is one whole letter, this letter to Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says that love comes from a sincere conscience. And now in chapter 4, he says that lies come from a seared conscience. That our conscience and our motivations can produce one of two things, love or lies. And that these people who are teaching these false things have tricked themselves into believing these things and have tricked themselves and others into believing the lies of the world. I have a good friend who often jokes, it's not a lie if you believe it. Okay, that's true. With small things, right? We joke about it. Well, I really believe I'm good at this and so I'm going to, it's fine. But when it comes to to the teaching of the church, when it comes to the house of God, we want truth, don't we? We don't, <laughs> we don't want someone teaching things that they don't know or that maybe they just hope are true. <laughs> How great would it be if I stood up here and said, well, I'm not sure what God meant or I'm not sure what the Bible says, but this is what I hope is true. It wouldn't be a very good thing. And these liars in the church in Ephesus are doing a couple of different things. It says that they're forbidding marriage. We're going to get to that in the next couple of chapters when when Paul starts talking about widows. So we're going to table the marriage thing for right now. But he's also was telling people not to eat certain foods. 
Now this, if you're familiar with the New Testament in the first century, is talking a lot about the Jews versus the Greeks. The Jewish people were saying, well, we were raised as Jewish people and we don't eat these foods, so therefore we're better than you Gentiles who, don't, who do eat these foods. Or the wealthy sometimes, it talks about this in Corinthians, the wealthy would say, well, we can afford all of these great foods that, that are holy and clean and wonderful, but you poor people have to eat these other things. And it was creating divisive things in the church. So for whatever it was, these people were creating division. What Paul says is they were keeping people from two things, thanksgiving and truth. Two great goals that we have together here in church. That we'd be grateful people, that we would tell great testimony of of things that are happening in the world. We would have thanksgiving in our hearts to God. And that we would preach the truth that God has provided to us through his word. And when false teaching doesn't reveal truth, what it does is it creates division in the church and shame and guilt. And so my question to you this evening is, what is the fruit of your life? Now again, this letter to Timothy was to a pastor. Well, not all of you are pastors. Not all of you are in full-time ministry. What is your ministry? What has God called you to? We've talked about calling before. We've talked about how you live your life. So the question is, is the fruit of your life leading others to thanksgiving and truth? It's a difficult question. How do we lead people to thanksgiving and truth? How can we have discernment in the house of God to know what the truth is? Paul says that those things in in verse 5 at the end of this... uh, section we read this morning, that they are consecrated by the word of God. Consecrated with prayer. And these are the things God desires from us. And that if we don't, it can create division and that some will depart and some will leave the faith if we're not doing these things. And immediately as a a pastor, this scares me. What if I don't do this? (laughs) What if I teach something false? What if I teach something that leads someone away from the faith? And I wonder, how how do we keep this from happening? How can I make sure this doesn't happen to me? How can you and me and and together as as the body of Christ have discernment in our lives to know what is true and what leads people to thanksgiving? I want to mention a couple of things about this. Um... It can happen to anybody. We can make mistakes. We can say foolish things. But there are some things we can do and there are actions we can take. And you as lay people, it's a little different. But whenever you go into a church and whenever you hear something, there are ways to discern whether it is true and whether it is good. There's always exceptions to these rules and everything. Um, But I want to just lay out a couple of things and then I want to tell you a story. The one thing I've always seen when there's false teaching and division in the church is someone who is not transparent, someone who's unable to take any sort of criticism, and someone who desires to be authority rather than Christ. If I can give you one piece of advice that you hear tonight and nothing else, please hear this. There is only one authority that will lead us to truth, and that is Jesus Christ. No man, no teaching, nothing else. And it leads me to a story that I'm going to cry a couple of times tonight, so forgive me. Why this is so important. Still fresh, so forgive me. It's a couple years old. Um, 
A dear friend of mine started going to a great church in a great community a couple of years ago. And, and it was one of these churches that we immediately saw, begin to see fruit in their lives. And we immediately began to see, wow, they're growing. Wow, things are changing. Wow, this is so good. But then little things started to spring up, right? Little things that, that created a little bit more division and, and, and started to isolate this person. And, and, and this group began to isolate themselves from the world. And so like we've talked about, instead of, from the outside it seemed good and it seemed truthful, but it wasn't creating thanksgiving and, and, and prayer. What it was, was creating was division and, and, and secluding. And, and before we knew it, this person was, was under this authority and under this manipulative person who I would call a wolf in sheep's clothing that that person became the only source of truth, the only source of wisdom. Not scripture, but what that person said about scripture. It's almost like to go to the Bible, he, he made this group of people he was in leadership over go through him to get to the truth of God. And before they knew it, they were stuck in this divisive, manipulative community under a false teacher. And so my question when I read this in 1 Timothy is, is how do we keep this from happening to us? How do we keep this from happening to the people we love? How do we as Christians know what is true? How do you discern what I'm saying? I, my desire is, is God and my desire is that you would have all of these things. But I want you equally to test what I'm saying is true. Elizabeth read in Proverbs chapter 4 that Solomon writes that we should keep these things that God teaches us within our heart. And we should ponder the path of our feet. That we should be discerning in how we walk this life. That we should be very careful in who we trust and how we go forward in life. And in this text, Paul talks about these people being deceived by demons. But yet there is still personal responsibility. And so what I want to talk about now briefly is this idea of discernment. And I want to give you just a few things, practical things. Rarely will I say step one, step two, step three. But this is helpful for me. How do we know, how do we practice discernment? You know, oftentimes we'll hear in church that someone has the gift of discernment. I do believe that God gives many people spiritual gifts and that discernment can be one of them. But like all other things, even a child prodigy in the piano has to practice. <laughs> we all must practice the things God has given us. And I believe discernment is an important one. It was important to the Apostle Paul. To the churches he pastored, he said, practice discernment. Learn these things. And it's not a skill we're particularly good at. Um, we often equate it to making decisions. And we kind of say things like, well, okay, God, show me what you want me to do. And we hope that God miraculously speaks to us or sends us an angel or maybe a vision. And he does these things sometimes. But if your life is anything like mine, it's been more so, I'm just going to make a choice and hope it works and go. I often thought about this. And I actually researched this for the first time. If you've ever heard this quote attributed to Augustine, it says, love God and do as you please. And, and, and I used to always think that was really good. And it is, and it's not bad. If you're loving God, the things of your heart will be the thing God desires, and, and it's a pretty good way. But I actually researched it for the first time, like what goes around that quote. And this is actually what he said in a sermon. Love and do what you will. Whether you hold peace, through love, hold your peace. Whether you cry out, 
through love cry out. Whether you correct, through love correct. Whether you spare, through love do you spare. Let the root of love be within. Of this root, nothing can spring but what is good. Isn't that nice? And and so when we talk about discernment, that's where I want to start. Remember, the Apostle Paul also taught that without love in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or maybe it's the beginning of 13, we were like a, just a, a clanging symbol. We're just noise. And so when we look at the process of discernment, as I said, I won't often go through point by point, but this is generally how I like to do this. And so I'm going to share with you how I've gone through this discernment process, um, and then we'll uh, uh, share with you the resolution to a little bit of that story I shared. The first thing I like to do is I start by acknowledging that God is in control. Oftentimes what I'll do is I will get in a position where I'm kneeling with my hands open and say, God, I need help. (laughs) Sometimes I wait far, far too long to do this like many of us do. But as I acknowledge that I'm no longer in control, I go to God in prayer and I say, God, I need your help. I need wisdom. And most of all, Lord, I need patience. How many of us, when we're discerning something and trying to seek the will of God, rush God. Okay, God, here's the deal. I have a deadline Friday, so an answer by Thursday night would be great. I pray for patience very intentionally when it comes to discernment. The third thing I do after acknowledging God is in control and going to God in prayer is I commit to prayer. How often have we said, I'll pray about it, and we pray one time? Or we go to a brother and sister in Christ, I'll pray for you one time. I found in my life, and when it comes to practicing discernment and knowing what is true and what is good, that I have felt the voice of God and felt the wisdom of the Spirit more powerfully and more clearly the more I pray for things. If I commit to praying for something every morning, I have found there has been great answer to those prayers. I don't try to do it once. I try to do it every day, sometimes multiple times a day, and I pray fervently for these things. And so after doing these three things, the the next thing I like to do, well, I don't like to do it, but I've learned I should do it, is what I call getting a mirror. What does that mean? How do we get a mirror? I go to someone who can show me the spots I can't see. I go to someone who would be like holding up a mirror and saying, this is the situation, so you might see it more clearly. Did you realize, and I don't know if anyone's ever thought about this, but you've never seen your own face. You've only ever seen a reflection of your own face. Isn't that a weird thought? (laughs) You've never seen your own, you've only seen a reflection of your face. And then in the morning when we go and and after I shave and, and I realize, oh, I missed a spot, it's through a mirror. And that mirror helps me to see the spots I miss. And as simply as that is, this is how spirituality and practicing discernment works. We go to someone who will point us to the blind spots in our spiritual picture. We have a mentor. We have a friend. We have what the spiritual fathers called a soul friend. Someone we share the deep, intimate things of our life with. We don't like being transparent and being totally open with someone, but the reality is, is we all need help and we all need another set of eyes when it comes to these things. We need another heart. We need another brain. 
We need another person's experience to give us wisdom. Which means then, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have to be vulnerable, that we have to be honest, and we have to be committed to community. Which, by the way, even as a pastor, I don't like. <laughs> Left to my own devices, I've shared this with you before. Uh, despite what you may have seen yesterday at the potluck, I am not an extrovert. It's a shock for some people to hear this about me. After yesterday and after today, do you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? Absolutely nothing. And it's going to be so good. But, brothers and sisters, when we are honest with other people about our spiritual lives, God reveals more to us. God reveals more to us and more truth that we would have, as Paul said, a heart of thanksgiving. And then the fifth thing, the last thing I do is I move forward. And I just make a choice and trust God. If we wait on God to do everything and try to wait for him to speak to us through an angel or a miracle, we will spend most of our lives not doing anything. Sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong. To me, when I think about discernment, I think of, wow, that's something I need to practice more. That's something I need to pray more specifically for. That's something I need to talk to more people about. But this is why we are here, to gather, to do life together, to meet people we connect with and say, hey, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about doing this, like I did eight months ago. Hey, so I got this call from this church in Zurich. They want me to interview. What should I do? Am I really willing to move across the country? Are we willing to sell our home? It's an important thing to do life together. In my story, I started about the false teacher. Didn't end up great. Unfortunately, it takes kind of an explosion and it takes a big problem for people to realize there's a problem sometimes. The short version is this, is that there was a large sin issue in the church and with the pastor. Like many men who desire power, he desired many other things, and it was revealed. Some left, some chose to stay. Many dear friends of mine left. And over years, the last couple of years, we've been talking with these people, and we've been asking them. And they're wounded, and they're hurt. And because of wolves and sheep's clothing, a good number of our friends still struggle to even walk in the doors of a church. And it breaks my heart because of the manipulation of someone that desired people to follow them rather than Christ. And so to be transparent with you now, I would ask one thing. If you ever feel that I'm trying to get you to follow me rather than Christ, let me know. Then <laughs> I will apologize. But this is why I take it so seriously. I want to read you some words directly from this person that I got. Um, so, uh, please hear this. And this is the severity, I think, of truth in scripture. When I look back, it really was the frog in the boiling water scenario, which if you don't realize it's the frog, it's put in the boiling pot. Oh, this is nice. Oh, this is warm. Oh, it's bubbly. It's like a hot tub. It's kind of, and then dead. Yeah, that's the short version. Yeah. When I look back, it was really the frog in the boiling water scenario. Everything seems fine. There's enough growth. 
People are friendly, and I really wanted more knowledge of God. But then stuff got weird slowly. But for me, it was the fruit of people's lives that helped me wake up. People were absolutely terrible to other people. Intimacy was falsified and used against you. I can list things to look for in a leader now. I look for narcissism. I look for inability to take any accountability or say that they are wrong. And I can say that these things are seared in my brain now, that I wouldn't go back for anything. However, the church stuff aside, what I realized was I had a need to belong, to be known, to have friends, and have a life that was a hunger that was super strong when I entered that. I wasn't being filled with Jesus, even though I wanted that. I needed a family and friends in that stage of my life. And I was figuring out who I was and also had no idea who I was apart from my family. I was ripe and ready for that environment. And so it was about them. But I also had lots of accountability too. So I think that's a good point to make. The more we know ourselves, the more we can shield against falsity in others, ourselves, and God. I knew the Bible. I read it cover to cover three times while I was in that church. But I didn't know myself and my own needs. There was a complete disconnection from what I had been taught my whole life and who I was and who God was. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are here not to learn from a person other than Christ. We are here to be together to learn about the love that Jesus Christ has for us. I am passionate about theology and I'm passionate about knowing why we believe what we believe, but I'm also a firm believer that if we follow any one person, it will take us away from Christ. Christ is the only thing that we ought to follow, that we ought to study, and that we ought to know to define ourselves, to define our community, to make decisions moving forward. You know, I hate the old movement of what would Jesus do, but it makes so much sense. Maybe instead of asking, what would Jesus do? We should ask, what does Jesus desire of me? We talked about this last week with the power of God. But this is why we study. This is why we pray. And as we study and we pray and we live in community together, sharing life together, we understand more truth. And we live lives that are filled with more thanksgiving. Paul said that for everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected, provided it is received with thanksgiving and sanctified by God's word with prayer. Let's go to the word of God. Let us be thankful for what God has given us. Let us protect each other from wolves, from those who would seek to divide us, from those who would seek to take you away from Christ. That we would find safety, love, and thanksgiving. Let's pray. Lord God, we desire more of you. Let our study, let our actions, let our prayer life reflect that. Father, I pray that we would be vulnerable to go to others for help when we need it. I pray that we would be diligent to pray for the things that are on our hearts. And Lord, as we move forward, we acknowledge we will make mistakes but we know we have a safe place in you and each other. Lord, let us be a community that loves. 
Let us be a community that accepts. Let us be a community with open doors and open hearts and free of judgment. Because you are free of judgment with us. Because you have forgiven us through the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. And made us clean. Thank you, Lord. Amen.